Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Lynn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm under protest. He certainly is. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Glenn is under protest. I am deeply concerned. I know Glenn is tired, but the way I know he's super tired is when I hit record and I say we're rolling, and there are no sounds made into the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> oh. That's when That's I know. That's actually true. Yes. It's been yeah. a long month for yeah. one Glenn Fitzgerald. We, 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 yeah. we uh, through the magic of audio editing, we tend to spare the audience the uh, the competitive coughing symphony that yeah. takes place. Before between Jed announcing the mics are hot and we're going to record. Uh, one time, Jed hit record and said, "Do you mind coughing in that mic so I can set the levels?" And this I said, "This was a new mic many years ago." Yeah, I, I said, "Sure." And then I've done it every single show, including when we do two shows in one back day. Back to back, I still just always do it. We say, "Okay, you know, we're rolling." Then I just issued the most horrible, sort of a phlegmatic, sort of a. Like guttural, a guttural, a malarial kind of a. If we were know. in Dickensian London, people would refer to him as a lunger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he does all, wear fingerless gloves. I've always wondered about that. All the 1860s diseases. <laughs> yeah, but Glenn, why are you under protest, buddy? Well, I'm under protest because it's not a real show. Really? That's right. It's a very oh, existential statement. And that's because. Lee Younger is not here. Oh, yeah. That is true. We are normally joined by one of the pastors of Christ Community Church in Oregon, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Not this week, though, for he has many preparations to make because the fine children of said Christ Community Church and said Oregon, Tennessee are on their way to Chicago. Ooh. That's right. We recorded this on a Sunday night. They're leaving on Monday morning. There's much to be done. Yes. I assume there's, you know, getting the dog sled team together and... Yeah, absolutely. much whale oil and you know skins to go that far north. You gotta be ready, man. You gotta have things to barter. You gotta have sacks of grain to barter for things along the way. Well, when you when when white people go to new places, I think they like uh, pack up lots of yogurt. Sure, well, you gotta have yogurt, man. You gotta have travel yogurt. Yeah, that's uh, uh, gogurt, if you will. Yeah, you have to get. You have to pack your sweaters. You gotta have your trail mix. You have to have your backup sweaters. Right. Sure. Yes. And then you have to have. Your lightweight sweaters, your heavyweight sweaters, your formal sweaters, your casual sweaters. Sure, your semi-formal sweaters, yeah. your business casual sweaters. That's right. No doubt. Now, I think you're bringing up an important point because we're all familiar with the, the travel pants where the, the, the below the knee you can zip it on or yep. off. right. I don't think this exists, and I think this would be a fantastic uh, money-making say that product. You know how you got if you, speaking of, you know, if you're a little more casual, you just wear your, your button-down shirt with a sweater vest. Yeah. Maybe it's not as cold. Maybe you're just trying to keep it, you know, let, you, let them know I'm a man of the people. Right. But, you know, sometimes you got to kick it up. Yeah. you got to put them sleeves back on. Yep. Zipper sleeves for your sweater. Wow. Oh, yeah. We're, we, you know what? People listen to this podcast, you know, yes, for the, the wisdom about the, their spiritual lives. But uh, the, the fashion tips is uh, another strong thing we bring to the table that a lot of people really tune in for. Absolutely. And up to now, we've kept that to uh, tips about existing fashion that you right, should right. do or not do. Now we're entering the R&D development stage of that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, I should ask, you know, fall is not far off. Certainly it's, you know, it's pre-fall right now yeah. in the fashion world. Infinity scarves, in or out this season? Uh, my people tell me infinity scarves are out for infinity. Wow! Uh, and you can tell that that's good intel because they said it in a very sassy way. Ah, sure. Yes. Any form of fashion advice that's delivered in a sassy type of way uh, is is very reliable. Sure, intel. Meryl Streep taught us that. Yes, right. I love it. That's well, not going to go over well. Well, I, you know, that, that's, you know, sometimes you have to stand up for the truth. Sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? Is Got that it. what Christians mean when they say that? Yep. Are they talking about mainly about infinity scarves? Probably. Yeah, I, actually. Yeah. Okay. Weirdly. That's somehow a less creepy version of standing on the truth. But here's the thing, guys. You got to get down to the wisdom. Mm, yeah. You got to get to the hardcore. It's what Lee would want. I think it's what, if, if Lee could be here now, he would say, let's get down to the wisdom, fellas. I know that's it right. It does sound like Lee. It sounds prudent. It sounds responsible. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just can't happen because I have to declare an emergency. What? <laughs> Uh, before I declare the emergency, just one more idea. We're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm pitching a full Utila sweater here. Hit me. So it starts out as a crew neck, but you can pull a little V out of it. Ooh, I love it. 
So Lee cannot be with us. That's bad news. We invented a new sweater. That's good news. Yeah. So yeah. it's all kind of coming into balance here. It's pretty much even. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give us a bit of news that came in over the twitters. It's gonna push it over the top. I like it. Whoa. Um. And we we, we do this show as a public service. Yeah. It's not really the way anyone else sees it, but that's the way we see it. That's right. Um, so we, and we're a news-breaking organization at yes. our core, no doubt about that. Um, so we have a bit of news. And this is particularly for uh, our friends domestically, our mm. friends in the United States, who have been deprived of a, a fine product for a long time. The embargo is over. Mm. We have reports from our uh, New Zealand correspondent, Miss Bridie, that uh, Tim Tams are now available in the United States. Whoa. If you don't know what a Tim Tam is. I don't. I was excited, but I, I don't know what they are. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll walk through it together. <laughs> it's going to be a learning experience for all of us. Right. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Yes. There's lots of changes happening around that's you. That's right. I mean, I fear change. Nope. That's the truest thing we've ever done <laughs> on the show. Um, so Tim Tams are a type of cookie that comes out of Australia, a biscuit, oh. as they might put it. And it's pretty much as much chocolate or caramel as you can fit into a thing. Okay. Okay. To the point where I've had these several times at this point, friends brought back places. And it's one of those things that we've all done this with the, you know, the serving sizes, two cookies. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bit about that. If you, if you find Brian Regan, it's great. Uh, we, won't, we won't repeat the whole serving size bit here. Right. But we told him it's two cookies. Did Charlie see that? What, they're going out that way? Oh, well. <laughs> but uh, so this is one of the, you know, it's two cookies. And there's like 12 minutes leave. And everybody's done that. You know what? I'm, I'm going to take three out. I'm going right. to go sit and watch my show yeah. and leave this rest in his kitchen. Right. And then about three minutes later, you've just wood chippered your way <laughs> right. through all of these. You've, you've okay. shuffled them like cards and just Tasmanian devil chomped down on them. So this is a warning as well as an emergency. Okay. Well, so the, uh, first of all, uh, it sounds like what you're trying to tell us is this is a national security emergency. Sure. In that the Australians, this is Australian, right? I believe so, yes. Uh, the Australians are attempting... To uh, control our brain with chocolate, yeah, that's right, and get us addicted to the to the to the Tim Tim Tam, yeah, and then that you crave it, and then here's what they say, you know what, uh, maybe give us some of your nukes in if you want some of these, yeah, that's right, and then next thing you know, boom, you know, you're 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 down and out. I I the law the logic is flawless. Right. I can't find any kind of problem with that. So, you know, like uh, everybody now, they're talking about the, the Russian cyber attacks. Right. It's true. But this is this is the Australian chocolate attack. That's right. Sure. Nobody's even monitoring that situation. Yeah. Chocolate's very complicated. It is. Much like cyber. It's all sorts of stuff. The, what's happening is uh, they send it over and you think, well, that's good. That's a delicious sure. cookie. I, I would eat that. Then it's got a chemical in, in it that makes you crave it fortnightly. Mm, no doubt about it. And then you're you're hooked. You're addicted. You're jonesing, man. You're riding the Tim Tam wagon. That's, that's what you're doing. That's right. So mm, Chasing that caramel dragon. So what I'm thinking, and if you guys don't like this, well, you, you send it right back to okay. me. But I'm thinking people probably have gone out and bought these products. Certainly. Not realizing the danger. Okay. So what they need to do is go ahead and send them to us. Yes. For testing purposes. We will confiscate them. We will dispose of them properly we and will safely. D- and safely. We'll take them to the underground bunker and uh, we'll make sure that they don't uh, affect other people. I think that's, I think that's, it's big of us to be willing to do that. Yes. Here's the thing about that. Not only is it smart, not only is it the patriotic mm. thing to do. Patriotic. It's yes. a Christian thing to do. We're Clearly. offering a service. Mm-hmm. We're offering to go before the listeners of this show into unknown territory. Yeah. And really, I think servant leadership is what yeah. we're yeah. on here. Yeah. That's right. Because uh, here's what's going on, fellas, is uh, we're under attack. Yeah. We're at war. Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, they what, hate our cholesterol freedoms. Yes. What, what happens is uh, we're not prepared for a counteroffensive. Sure. Now, what are we prepared to send to Australia... Laced with some form of addictive chemical mm. that will uh, counteract. I mean, because here's what I'm saying: uh, y- you've had a, a Dorito. It's right. nice, sure, it's good, but it's not. You know what I mean? Right. It's not. 
you're talking about it's chocolate inside of chocolate dipped in chocolate. We don't have anything like that. Sure. No, well, I, think, I think you're right. Go ahead, John. We do have an option. We're all mm. Southerners on the show. Mm. I'm talking about the Goo Goo Cluster. Well, tell, tell people for the people that may not be familiar. It does sound like a made-up thing. It's not, but it sounds like one. I want you to picture deliciousness personified. I want you to picture something that makes you feel bad about yourself and yet so, so good. Something that's that could be a lot of things, Jed. Be more specific. Chocolate, <laughs> caramel, okay. chocolate, <laughs> and caramel. Mm. I'm talking about a goo-goo cluster here, people. Okay. Goo-goo cluster. What you're saying is we have to get to work on the goo-goo technology right, right now. Sure. Yes. Now, here's what part that I really liked about it is that, is that you eat it. Yes. But it makes you feel terrible about yourself and your life choices. Yes, yep. that's right. No doubt. That's really important. Yeah. Because then people are, will be easy to manipulate. That's that the point. nature of all Southern cuisine, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. yeah. You, you ate the Goo Goo Cluster. Don't you think it would probably be better if you let us take control? Exactly right. Yeah. See, people think that there's a stereotype of the American South that people in the South talk a little slower, move a little mm. slower. And it's largely true. And people may think, well, is that because there's just not a as many big cities in the South. Um, mm-hmm. Is that because of the heat? Is that any of these things? Mm-hmm. And it's not. They're just full of biscuits. Yep, that's, that's exactly right. right. You, can, you can only move that so fast when that much of your diet is biscuits and gravy. That's yeah. right. It's that's true. Right. Yeah, you, 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 it kind of binds up in, the, in, yeah. the, in your central uh, digestive uh, areas. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I've, if I may t- proctor this conspiracy theory one step further. Oh. Because... Um, apparently, if you have a form of audio medium, just spouting crazy conspiracy theories is the way to <laughs> popularity and legitimacy. I have no idea what you're talking Which is about. Um, Man, fish fight hybrid. Yeah, no, yeah, there's there got them in tanks down there. I saw them. Um, so you're going to think you make a great point. Yeah, you know, this is the Australians. Clearly, this is this is an act of aggression. Yeah, but if I may, yeah, uh, I think I think our friends from Australia, New Zealand, can corroborate this. Think friends from all around the world. Um, if you go to any decent-sized city, the world over, yeah. you're going to find two things. Okay. You're going to find a Starbucks. Uh-huh. You're going to find a McDonald's. Right. Is it possible this is an entirely justified counterattack <laughs> against the United States of America? Well, it, it, in one sense it is because, you know, we've, we've, we've sent over the McDonald's, and, and, and no one listening to this podcast has eaten more McDonald's than I have. Sure. sure. It's horrible. If you've ever wondered about the uh, the income levels of people who do urban ministry, <laughs> right. a lot of meals at McDonald's. Yes. And on the dollar menu. Yeah, let's, let's right. be clear. Fancy. We're not talking about your hoity-toity value meal. Right. Must be nice <laughs> living in your castle eating <laughs> a number three. <laughs> Double <laughs> cheeseburger, eh, Mr. Rockefeller? <laughs> yeah, but here's what I'm saying is, you know, they would be justified in taking revenge upon Certainly. us by whatever... But this is like, you know, we sent something horrible over there. Yes. They're sending over things that are wonderful and delicious and addictive, and it gets in your brain and makes you think, maybe I'll go to Australia. Yeah. Sure. Maybe I'll, I'll say good day like that, you know, at the beginning of the day. It's, uh, how's it going? That's right. Say, That's g'day. right. You know, and you don't say howdy anymore because you're saying good day. And, uh, you're walking around uh, eating uh, uh, kangaroo jerky. Yeah. I don't know that's what, what they eat I, there. I hear but... that's what they eat there. So uh, maybe pour some gravy on it make it edible. But what I'm saying is uh, it, it's just not fair. Sure. We got to okay. get in this. Yes. We got to fire back. Yeah. What are the people on this show prepared to do to fire back against Australia? This aggression shall not stand. Hmm. I'm going to go to Target and get a bunch of Tim Tams. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. Yeah. They've gotten to Matt. Yeah. How, how long have you been in the pocket of big Australia, Matt? Pretty much since the first time I had a Tim Tam, it turns out. <laughs> pretty much sold. My, it turns out my loyalty is not run that deep. Wow. Well. I, well, I believe still in America. Yeah. In America. Do you? No. I really don't. <laughs> may not be the time to make it, that statement. I, I will say this right now: if if the if the city, uh, it will, I will say this, and and I and I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm, this is absolutely serious. If the government of Mexico is listening to this podcast, and I assume they are, sure, sure. make me an offer. Absolutely. 
I mean, in terms of the food comparison, it's just... There is no comparison. There's no comparison. I'm prepared to make that move right now. All right. Well, I think um, if you're a uh, foreign dignitary, a head of state, uh, an ambassador, plan potentiary, who uh, would would like Glenn to come to your country to, you know, be charming, uh, helpful blog posts he can do... um, Ministry training, just just being adorable, just going around mm-hmm. and you know people people like him when he, he just shows up, and brightens the whole day. Establish if you like going to essentially be your national mascot. Yeah, be your he, he's he's happy to do that. Uh, say that podcast at gmail.com. Make him an offer. I yeah. I will say as as we wrap this up, I will say that I did have a delightful exchange with one of my uh, 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 people from the Philippines. Mm. Uh, wrote in, I believe, to, I don't know if it was on Twitter or on the blog, but was uh, referring to me as Sir, and mm. I was very excited. Uh, Without because... adding, you're making a scene, which is what normally follows <laughs> right, Sir right. in these United States. Yes, yeah, sir, yeah. I'm going to need you to leave. <laughs> yeah, that was... Sir, get off the table. These are the kind of... Glenn gets called Sir, I, but in a very specific I'm context. I'm used to that. You know, wrong glass, Sir, that kind of yes. thing. Uh, but here's what I'm saying is, I thought for a second that that meant I had been knighted. Oh, you thought you were going to get a duchy or something. Yeah. And um, then it was explained to me that they don't have that in the Philippines, the, the gal who mm-hmm. called me sir. Uh, it's not a feudal system over there. Yeah, don't, don't get yourself excited because that doesn't exist. And then I asked pretty politely, could we just do it for me? Right. Okay. And she said she'd look into it, so I think that's probably going to happen. Future... Filipino knight, Glenn Fitzgerald. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be prematurely announcing it before sure. it happens. But it is an important thing if you are a country listeners podcast, and all the nations of the world probably do listen sure, to it. Sure, at least one representative. I think. What I you, assume our podcast is mainly what they talk about at the UN. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, see, got, you hear those little things in their ears. Those aren't translations. They're listening to say that podcast. That's yeah. right. So that's like you, you have to beat that offer. Yeah. Sure, no yeah. doubt. If you have, if you have if you have land and fealty, you would like to offer Glenn. To come mm-hmm. be a part of your nation. I'd love to be a feudal lord. Sure. Isn't that essentially what you are here? Yes. Speaking as one of your vassals. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, you know, make, make Glenn an offer. Uh, if, if you just live in a city, a state, if, you know, if you, the, we- the weather's not good here. Right. Um, the, the people are lovely. The work is good. But, you know, there's a lot about Chicago Glenn's not a fan of. So that's right. Make him a pitch. Wherever yep. you live, maybe he'll come. I'm open. And with that, we declare emergency off. Woot. Now, we do have a Say That interview for you this episode. Very excited about that. Later on, we're going to get to an interview with Stephen Christian, who was the lead singer of the rock band Anne Berlin. You probably remember them. They had a bunch of top 20 hits, very big band. So band broke up. He uh, went, decided to try to do some other non-musicy stuff, and uh, he, it became very clear that so, someone on high wanted him to make a worship album. So he made said worship album called Wildfires, and we're going to get to a really cool conversation about that. And if, if you're not familiar with Amblin, I think there's a lot in, this, in the conversation we're going to have about um, just kind of what that process is like when you're pretty sure you had a plan and it all kind of goes kaput and you're trying to figure out what God has for you. So I look forward to that. But before that, we're going to get into your questions. If you have a question for us, you can find us at say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Of course, if you are already familiar with the show and want a little deeper. Ooh. If you want to become a citizen, ah. much in the same way, if you'd like to become a feudal lord, say that podcast system, you can report that over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. That's our monthly bridgebox service. Get songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of stuff based around a good topic every month. Only $8 a month. Great way to support the show and what we do up here in Chicago. So missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And we are going to jump to our first question here. This came in. Speaking of People wanting Glenn's approval. Mm. This came into Glenn's blog. Ah. It's quite popular. Is it? It really is. Well, that's nice to hear. It's, hey, not, uh, it's apparently not quite feudal lord popular yet, but we'll get there. Yeah. What, what's popularity? <laughs> One week he's going to ask what is, is. <laughs> what is existence? <laughs> yes. If you've missed the previous bit, I will spell out some of our favorite bits. That was a time when Jed responded to the blog is very popular with, what's a blog? That's right. right. And you may ask yourself, do we in mocking conversation now hear people brag about something and want so deeply to ask what that is? Yes. (laughs) Every day on Twitter, I see someone, well, this book is number one. And I was, what's a book? (laughs) We redesigned the sanctuary. Really? What's a sanctuary? Yeah. But this came into Uncle Glenn's blog. It says, 
I'm discouraged from leading my small group. The members seem more interested in fellowship than Bible study. My co-leader seems to be okay with that and is passive while not carrying their weight, in my opinion. I was asked to lead the group again next year, but I'm burnt out from leading the group by myself. I don't know how to express these disappointments and at the same time also recognize that this could be me being legalistic and self-righteous. I don't want to be heretical, but I think my concerns are fair. WWJD. So an excellent question. So, Glenn, what would we say to this? Well, I think first and foremost, I, I, I really applaud your ability to recognize that this may be a, a, a funky attitude on your part. And I, you know, I don't think it is. I think it's a real thing. If you put a lot of work into a meeting, you design it, you lay it out, you get a, you know, do all your study and your thing, and you get to printouts and the whole deal, and then nobody you know, honors that and respects it and, and goes with it. Uh, that's, that's going to be pretty uh, upsetting. I, you know, it yeah, would bother the, me. Certainly the emotional response of being annoyed by that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. What that says about you and the situation, the whole thing, it's possible to get your wires crossed in there. But. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I think it, it's worth pointing out for us and in our ministry, we debrief each of our meetings. And what we mean by that is, uh, we uh, before the meeting we we plan and we brief each other on what we want to see happen that particular week, what sort of uh, problems or obstacles we need to uh, anticipate and work on, and then after the meeting we'll talk about how we thought it went, what what we want to keep, what we want to change, all those kind of things. So having that in place would have allowed you to kind of see this trend emerging before it really got going, to mm-hmm. discuss it with with your co-leader and figure something out. Uh, but I think in the, the larger thing to look at is what's so bad about fellowship. Uh, I think fellowship is, is a, a huge part of our Christian walk. I couldn't maintain my walk without really high-quality fellowship. I'm blessed to have good fellowship, uh, and, and that's, you know, with the guys on, on this podcast. Uh, I find that... Uh, it's important to look at, when you're looking at ministry, to recognize it's the unscripted moments, the unprogrammed moments that really give you the most ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, if I'm one-on-one, I'm getting way more done than if I'm speaking to a group or if I'm in a group context. If I'm talking to somebody in an unguarded way and they're talking about their job, they're talking about their car, they're tra- talking about their health, whatever they're talking about, Eventually, that conversation is naturally going to wind itself around to, you know, I've got struggles and I need help and, um, you know, I have frustrations and I need to do something about that. Whatever it is, a need will arise and we can talk about how God wants to help them meet that need and also how we can help them Mm -hmm. meet that need and be accountable to participate with them. But I think we feel like that's not as hardcore as reading the Bible. That's the most ministry that you can possibly sure. have done. Got to you know? exegete. Yeah. It, and, and I say this as a guy who is upfront a lot and doing upfront speaking. I, this past week I did a Celebrate Recovery thing, which is a 12-step, Christian 12-step program. These are people who are dealing with addiction and so forth. And uh, this is a, 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 a fairly large meeting. I want to say there's maybe 40 people there or something like that. And I'm asked to speak. I speak, and they they liked it, and they received it really well. And I liked being there, and that was great. But they did a meeting, uh, excuse me, a meal afterwards, and working that room. I, just to give a very quick example, I'm waiting in line with the food. Here's what I got from the gal who's waiting in line ahead of me. I'm I'm in recovery from my addiction. My father was an addict. My father was a, an ex-marine. He recently passed away. I got a chance to witness him just before he died. I have family that are saved and some that aren't, and I wonder if if there's a good way to witness to them. Probably if I found a way to serve them, that would be the best way to show them that I care, and then that would open up a natural way for me to be able to witness to them more effectively. Thanks for talking to me about my problem. That was while we were waiting to get tacos. Yeah. If you have 5, 10, 12 of those conversations... The impact that I'm having in taco time is is way bigger than what I'm doing on the mic. I I would say that as a ministry professional. So you looking to break down this group and reform it into a different idea, give yourself that 
that freedom to say, let's talk about life and let's do real life together. I think it's a really fantastic point. And Jed, I think tied up in that is this is a very important other kind of thing we talk about in our ministry a lot, which is we go into something with a kind of idea of how we'd like it to work, how we think it will work. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But a lot of the work we do in those conversations beforehand is uh, dialing in reasonable expectations for this. And maybe that's part of what's going on here, right? I think it is. I think it is. Well, you know, we're really glad that you wrote in. And just so you know, we're proud of you. It's it's a challenging thing. It's a scary thing. to. Someone says, would you lead a Bible study? If you've never done that before, that feels kind of overwhelming. And we're proud of you for taking on that challenge and being given, being willing to give it a shot. And clearly uh, doing a good enough job with it. The folks want you to keep going. So that's great. That's awesome. Um, and we hear you on that sense of feeling like you're putting in a lot of work and you're not quite seeing you know, the kind of results that you want. And that can be disappointing. We're sorry for that. So as, we, as you move forward, here's the thing is with everything in life, you need to be very clear on what success would be. Uh, because as it turns out, if you haven't defined what success would be, you can't succeed. There, there's no way to do that. If it's, you know, if it's undefined, we, we really can't achieve it. Here's what we see most often with actually ministry professionals. If you say, what is success for you? They then describe a feeling. Yeah. That's yep. the most co- senior pastors of large membership mm-hmm. churches. Yeah. They describe a feeling. Well, here's the problem with that is you can't achieve a feeling. Feelings kind of come and go at their own bidding. Um, it's the worst R&B album I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, you can't achieve a feeling. Jed Brewer says you can't achieve a feeling. But you can't, though. You, I mean, you can't make yourself feel a certain way. You, you actually can't make a worship service feel a certain way. You, you can't force an emotional tenor onto a situation. That There is no such thing as that. So we have to have something that's in some way measurable in order to uh, have any idea if we're doing anything on on some level. Now, it's easy to pick metrics that aren't great. You know, attendance can be a bit of a deceiving metric. As Glenn's pointing out, we had five people there, but man, we really got into it and we, you know, it was, you know, deep and, you know, people having breakthroughs and whatnot. But we do need to have some kind of idea of, again, a, a thing that's not in our heads, that's how we know we've succeeded. You know, mm-hmm. that, that could be if I have one in-depth conversation with one person each week, I'm going to consider that a success. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, that's great. Right, right. The other half, Matt, is what you talked about, which is reasonable expectations for success. So, for example, if you said, I'm going to start running. I want to get in better shape. And my success for me is I'm going to run a million miles this week. Well, you're not. Um, no one can do that. Uh, right. Let's let's dial that back. You know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run two miles this week. Now we have something we can do. This right. is this is good. We see all the time with people in church stuff where they'll say, you know, if we have 150 people at this event, we're you know that's really that's how we we'll know that we've that we've got it done. With no sense that that's completely unrealistic. Mm-hmm. There right. there is no way for that to. There's nothing you can do that will make 150 people attend this. It's not a matter of you didn't pray enough, you didn't have enough faith, you didn't, you know, but it's just, that's just not going to happen. You can't run right. a million miles, you can't get 150 people to this event. So we need, we need, again, clear expectations of what success would be that we can look at, and, and it's not just something in our brain, but we also need them to be reasonable. We need them to be grounded in reality. So again, if you say, you know, it's a Bible study, I do want people to learn the Bible, then maybe that's about saying, what would be an amount of Bible learned that I would feel good about, right? Because right now, here's what I'm betting, is you have a sense of, if I felt like people just had a love for the Word, then I'd really feel like this was a successful Bible study. It's a feeling. Right. How, how, do, we, mm-hmm. how do we know if that's happened? But if you say, we're going to take one verse, and we're going to really unpack it, and I, I'm going to get you know each person to say one thing they like about this verse, or one thing it means to them, or go around a circle and say that. We have done a requisite amount of Bibling. Mm-hmm. We Bibled it good. Mm-hmm. I did prep. I will tell them smart things about it. Then we can go on with the fellowship. It's a success. And right. we know it is because we established a reasonable expectation in advance. We do that all the time, and you can do that in your Bible study. It's absolutely right. that Both these guys gave really fantastic advice. Um, and I, I think looking at a practical way to deal with this, one of those is you mentioned kind of things going on with your, the person you're co-leading this Bible with. One thing that's important to point out is n- neither one of you necessarily have to be wrong in this yeah. situation. It could just be a bad fit. It could just be that they're super laid back and they would do better with another super laid back person or a person who just wants to be in charge. 
that's that's perfectly fine. And you would do better with someone who wants to, you know, alternate and be in front. That's cool. And you can tell the church leaders that. Say, you know, I think John's great, but I'm just not sure we're getting the best out of each other leading this. So can we look at something else? That's perfectly acceptable. And no church leadership worth its salt would have a problem with that and want to try to guilt you on something. So if that's what you're worried about, that's fine. And you, and you can say that judgmentally, non-judgmentally. Again, that's that's things like bad fit, and I'm not sure we're mm-hmm. pulling on the same end of the rope here. None of that's, again, about assigning blame. The other thing that I point these guys are giving you is when you look down, uh, some of this depends on what you mean by fellowship. If you mean what we actually mean when we talk about fellowship, as both Glenn and Jed drew it out, then that's, you know, letting that run its course is great. Um, that's, and I, I think I can speak for all three of us. I say, in our mind, that's what these small group, cell group things should be more than instruction in the word, particularly because right. almost every senior pastor seems to think that's his job to talk about the word and not talk about anyone's lives. I feel called to teach. Be a teacher. <laughs> this is, there's, a, there's a whole job where you get to do that. They named it very, very obviously. Um, but if what you mean, and I've done a certain amount of youth ministry, as is Glenn, if what you mean is they just want to goof around, then right. that makes all the more sense to be a little annoyed by that. But again, what we're talking about is you have to find a way to serve the people in this group as opposed to serve what you think this should be. I will, I will tell the story. This is not a story of triumph. This is a story of survival. First small group Bible study I ever led in my life was a, a Young Life campaigner group. I was, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. All these guys were uh, freshmen in high school. Knew something, didn't know the rest of them. When I used the word chaos, mm, yes. it was chaos. Sure, we got down to the we had we roughly an hour of time, hour hour and a half, depending on you have a meal and one of the moms was nice enough to make chili or whatever. So, but I negotiated these animals down to if you will give me literally five minutes of shutting up, I will give a Bible lesson, right? It's a little story of the gospel, then we'll throw it up to questions. You guys be cool. Will you, if, if if that, then the rest of the time we can just goof around, play video games. Now, during that time, it's going to point out, I'm talking to them about yeah, things and yeah. feeling that. But you, the parents want this to be a Bible study. Young Life wants this to be a Bible study. It should be a Bible study. Can you give me a little time to do that? And then we'll do the other stuff. If 14-year-old guys will agree to that. Yep. Now, one of them was literally uh, timing me. <laughs> next to me holding his watch in my face. Right, yes. A guy who went on to become one of my best friends now works in full-time ministry, so imagine right. that. Yeah. But that, that that's, and that's again, it's not necessarily sort of what you should do, but that's not a failure of ministry. No, yeah, As we talk about all the time, so. is going to say, you know, if, if it's an addiction recovery meeting or a jailhouse thing, there's a certain level that people can receive. Mm-hmm. You don't do yourself any good to see it as your job to expand the amount they can receive if you're in this mm. association. So that's, we talk a lot on the show about ministry being about serving people, about this kind of stuff being a way to find to serve people. This is what we're talking about. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is their group. If they want it to be more discussion, as you guys are talking about, just guide the discussion a little bit and say, okay, well, who's having a hard week? Okay. Well this, you know, this Romans eight twenty eight says this, what do we think about that? And let, let it be what it is, and you'll really get where you're going. Just to tack a very quick final thought on that, you know, in the relationships I have with pastors that I'm working with, they want me oh. to go take them to dinner where we sit down and they talk about their personal life and their stuff and the, what's going on, and they want to have a human being, the human being, heart-to-heart talk. What they do not want me to do is to pull out my Bible and say, let's study the Bible together. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing that ought to trickle down. It yeah. kind of doesn't, but it, it means uh, it, it, people just wanting to talk about their their week and talking about what's going on, and you know, giving you a chance to to talk to them, you know, off to the side or whatever. You can get a lot more ministry done that way mm-hmm. if you know how to do it, and yeah. and it's it's worth seeing it that way. No doubt. Yeah, and as we pointed out before, also, it's just a lot more fun than giving a Bible yeah. lecture and preparing yeah. that, and it's less preparation for you. If you say we're all going to have, you know, we're all going to go home and read this chapter of Philippians, and we'll come back next week, and maybe in the event of talking about our weeks, that'll come up, hopefully, mm-hmm. or that'll be the opening question we'll go around, and what's the one thing that leaped out, leapt out to you about the thing we read, that's all, that's all very doable. And you can fold a lot of good Bible stuff in there, but it is yeah. looking for what fits this room, not yeah. making this room fit the curriculum. Yeah, definitely. And, and you definitely have the ability to do that. And if you have questions about that, feel free to hit us up about that. All right, we are going to go to our interview with uh, Mr. Stephen Christian. Again, I think I think it is a really cool story. I think there's a lot to be taken from this for all of us. On You're talking about a guy who was 
living the literal dream of being a rock star, touring, you know, on MTV, on the, you know, YouTube uh, music videos with millions of plays, and the band disintegrates. He thinks he has a a, a good uh, heading on what his next move is. That goes away, and he ends up trying to figure out God's calling him through that. I think all of us have been through those situations. It's a really fun conversation with him about that. We will take you to that right now. Uh, obviously, folks who know you probably know you from the, the Amberlynn stuff. So just let's start off with just musically. What what would folks who are going to uh, listen to Wildfires hear that may be similar or different from what they're used to getting from you? I think similar is the, 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 the constant, my constant influence of the 80s in electronic music. I think that definitely peaks its head from time to hot time. But also like kind of the earnest and honest storytelling you know just uh-huh. kind of hard on sleeve chest wide open i think though that's going the lyric lyrical content i think will will not shock anybody as far as like oh this is, this is just his him expressing like you know personal stuff that's going on in his life but i think the biggest differences are obviously that this is a straight-up worship record i really think that caught people off guard um and also the you know the music is a little bit middle of the road because my audience has changed in the fact that that you know I do work at a church and these are the songs that I'm writing here and now and um, and so that's going to be different. Uh, you know, it, I'm not saying like the rock days are over. Or I never want to work on another project. That's 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 definitely like heavy. But for now, this this moniker or you know quote unquote Stephen Christian um, is just a straight up yeah it's a straight up worship record. That's very cool, man. Well, how would you describe that difference? As you say, you know, you were, you were in a, a writing and touring in a big rock band, and that's obviously one kind of songwriting. How is it different to write songs that are more meant for people to worship, meant to have that type of experience people? How do you approach that? You know, it's it's different, but it's not foreign to me. I mean, I, I've, you know, always, you know, I've been a Christian since I was 18 years old, and, and you know, I, I, I not only a appreciate being a follower of Christ, but I definitely um, pursued it that entire time through Amberlynn. So it wasn't as if I was getting out and I was suddenly like enamored by this man named Jesus. It was it was very much, you know, as the Bible would put it, the overflow of the heart so the mouth speaks. And so it felt very natural. You know, I was songwriting a lot when I was living in Nashville, and I always seemed to be just a magnet to any, any co-writes that had to deal with or any rights that had to deal with worship music. I was so drawn to it. So I, I appreciated the art form well before I started getting involved. And then um, it just seemed so natural. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it was kind of who I was before even putting pen to the paper. So it didn't feel forced or like I had to go listen to the last, you know, five Hillsong records to catch a vibe of where, you know, where worship music was going, I was already there. I already, I already felt. And so to add in kind of personal experiences and to say, well, this is how I felt, you know, when I was, you know, talking to God and this is where I was and this is how bad I hurt and I needed him and, and I was scared and I was nervous about the next transition of life. And, you know, from there, all I need to know was birthed. So it just felt very much like um, just... Normal. It felt absolutely normal. That's yeah, very cool. Uh, so you mentioned kind of that story and that transition period of life, and that's that's where the record comes from. But let's give folks a start off a little bit of background. You mentioned you you have been Christian most of your life, but a big part of that life was spent um, being in rock and being you know in a band that was doing that. That may be something that a lifestyle and a pursuit that some people see as a bit counterintuitive for people who are walking with the Lord. So what was that experience like of being a rock star, but also being Christian without being a Christian rock star? Yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging because, you know, the old saying sex, drugs, and rock and roll is nothing short of the truth. You know, when you're in the, it doesn't even have to, you don't even have to be in the world. You could be in a Christian band. And it's almost as if humans give these other musicians, these musicians a license to do whatever they want. You know, oh, he's, you know, he's plastered. He's just passed out drunk. But you know what? Like, he's a musician, and they just disregard it. Or, and and, and honestly, like, women seem to throw themselves at, at musicians. And it's not, again, it's not just general market musicians. It's all musicians. 
And so there was a lot of like, definitely a lot of temptation on the road. And, and it got to the point where I had to call my best friend, who's now a pastor and say, Seth, you have got to get out on the road with me. If you don't, like I see, you know, I'm seeing this path, mm. choose you this day, blessing or cursing, life or death. I literally see the roads diverging in the woods. And if you don't get out here, I'm going to make some wrong decisions. And so he did. He came out and he was my accountability partner. And he shortly after that became our tour manager. And, you know, for years, he just kind of kept me on my toes. Like, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? What, you know, I'm coming with you. And I needed that. And I knew my own weaknesses. And um, I think that would be kind of my suggestion for any young band out there that is starting out. Like, know your own limitations. Don't Mm -hmm. lie to yourself. Understand that the decisions that you make today are going to be with you for the rest of your life, you know, whether positive or negative. And so be responsible for your actions. Don't lie to yourself and and try to pretend that for whatever reason, God's not there with you and God doesn't understand. And it's tough, man. I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough world, but I, you know, I think that through my kind of Christian upbringing and the, and the, the roots, you know, Proverbs says, you know, the fools are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. And I think that the deeper your root system, no matter what the world will throw at you, I think you can survive. It's just you've got to concentrate on the roots, and I think a lot of that is 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 a quiet time, is reading your Bible, is really getting into the Word, is really getting in depth and deep with you know in prayer, um, staying around account of people that are going to call you out when you're stumbling, you know, and and, and call you out when you're beginning to isolate yourself um, and making poor decisions, and uh, and getting into a church that that is Bible believing is is deep into the word that can teach you and challenge you. And, uh, yeah, I, I think those are the, how you develop a firm root system so that no matter what, uh, life throws your way, you know, you'll be able to withstand the wind. That's really great stuff. I love that point. It's, it echoes something we, we deal with in kind of the folks we work with who are coming through addiction recovery of everyone has an amount of temptation that they will give into. And it's, so it's not about, being super strong as much as it is as you're talking about knowing when you're getting near that point and doing something about it. I think that's such a, such a wise way to approach that. So you were, you were in the band and then the band ended. So that's a, that's a different thing. You need some, some faith to push through. So this thing you had been dedicating your life to for over a decade was over. What was that like? It was, man, that was written in some rough times, you know, because you're, you know, if you remember ninth grade high school and you're in class yeah. and you know, you go to home and it's Tuesday morning, you, you your life is almost predictable. There's no thinking, mm. you know, mom and dad are going to take care of you. You know that there's going to be a roof over your head and a meal on the table probably tonight. And you know, tomorrow morning for sure, high school starts again and you'll go all day. You see what I'm saying? There's yeah, a very absolutely. certain, there's, there's no questioning. You're not, you, you, you're not stressing about college. You're not stressing about jobs or, you know, moving up in the company or healthcare. And I felt like that's where I was with Amberlynn, especially in the waning years where it just felt like I knew where I was going tomorrow. And so, you know, whether you like it or not, there's a lot of identity wrapped up into a band. And I've seen men turn into shells of men um, when they leave the mm-hmm. band. And so, that uncertainty phase, that time afterwards, it was, it was the whole world collapsed. Everything I knew, everyone I knew, um, the people that I had spent, the, you know, um, the majority it felt like of, of life together are now living hundreds of miles away. And you may talk to them every other week on the phone, you know, it, 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 it was definitely difficult. And there was some hard transitions and I, I in January of 2015, one month after the band ended, I I had three jobs that I worked from home, added up to great a great salary, and all three jobs dissipated in the matter wow. of one month. One was outsourced, one was folded, and one was a was a an online um, company, and I was doing social media for them, and um, they wanted me to. Um, begin to be a salesman and I just was not in the sales. <laughs> and so all three jobs dissipated. And here I am just like, God, I am sure you called me out of Amberlin. I'm sure you released me from there. I am positive. You let me go. You said my time's up. I don't have to do this anymore. Like, let me, you know, like what is mm-hmm. happening? I was so, I thought so clearly I had heard your voice and, um, 
I was just lost. And so that's the transitional time that, you know, I felt like I need to be diligent with whatever God has put in front of me. And what he put in front of me was the word publishing contract. Um, so I was songwriting and it's not a lot of money. You know, you don't make money until you get cuts. And even if you do get a cut, it's not for another year that you'll see any type of a paycheck. And so I was making nothing, you know, and, and but I was like, you know what, I'm going to be diligent with the time that God has given me. I'm going to be, I'm going to put my, put my efforts and energy into this. And, and so I did. And a lot of these songs came from right here in these moments and those moments of just uncertainty, doubt, fear, feelings of failing, uh, you know, of, of uncertainty. Um, and a lot of stress and anxiety comes with that. And so, uh, yeah, that's exactly the transitional period in which wildfires was, was written. That's really fantastic, man. And it's a, it's certainly a situation that I'm sure everyone can relate to being in a, whether as you're talking about that being a graduation or job transition or just anything happening in life or something that gave you, you thought was giving you that foundation and identity is gone and looking for that. I think it's a, it's a fantastic record. That story behind it is going to really inform the way people consume it. And Stephen Christian's Wildfires is available everywhere you buy music July 28th. Stephen, thanks so much for your time, man. Oh, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, you can, again, get the album Wildfires is out July 28th. That is this Friday. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, they were uh, Stephen's people were kind enough to send on along an advanced copy of the album. It's lots of good stuff. There's a lot of good um, content in there and music. And, you know, you, I think we all gain a lot on some of these worship albums of finding out that this actually came from a tough time in a guy's life mm-hmm. who's trying to figure out through that. And I really helps you connect to the song. So we'll help you check that out. Stephen Christian, Wildfires, out July 28th. All right, we're going to go to our final question here. This came in anonymously to our Tumblr, and it says... I have a girlfriend who I'm seriously considering marrying. She is great in all sorts of ways, but one facet in particular really bothers me. She works hard when she's at work, but when she comes home, she is very lazy. She just wants to sit and zone out. If I don't initiate food prep, she won't do it. She doesn't want to help out with the laundry or wash dishes or take out the trash. We don't have kids, but I fear if we do, she won't want to take care of them either. Advice. Oh, friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's going to be advice. And uh, before I even kick around to these guys who have a very healthy, loving Christian marriages, I don't know anything about being married. I'm super right. not married. Even I know this. Don't say this out loud. Yeah, no. <laughs> Writing to us. We're glad you did. It was yeah. the right move. Yeah. Th- this message needs a little bit of polish. That's right. Before that's it goes right. public. And that's not your fault. We're not, we're not mad at you, but we're going to let you know where we're coming from. Right. If you hear something, saying, that seems a little harsh. We're, we're just interested in your safety, friends. That's right. We're trying to that's keep right. you alive. And with that in mind, Jed, why don't you start us off? Well, we are glad that you wrote in. Here's the thing, and this actually has pretty wide-ranging implications. Um, calling people lazy doesn't accomplish anything. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. The, the first is that that's usually lazy analysis. Mm. Uh, you, you call somebody lazy because you're not really looking at what's going on in the situation. You're just slapping on a label to explain it. The other thing is that it doesn't give you anything to work with. If we can understand the why, then we can you know, figure out a solution to this. If we just say this is a person with low character – then we, there's not really a way forward. Mm-hmm. So um, labeling, uh, in, in addition to being hugely insulting to people, is uh, just not productive. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. I don't know your girlfriend, but I can, I can tell you about my life for a second. Uh, I am uh, not a lazy person and to a way fault in the opposite extreme. Um, but I've gone through long periods of my life where everything you wrote about her would have been true of me. So uh, works super hard at work, but when Jed comes home, he just wants to sit and zone out. Yes. If someone else doesn't initiate food prep, Jed won't do it. Yes. Jed doesn't want to do the laundry. Yes. Jed doesn't want to wash dishes or clean or take out the trash. Yes. Okay, why might that be? It might be that I'm lazy. It also might be that if you were to call me that, I'd punch you. So you probably don't want to do that. It's also not true. I I do recall in your singleness, there was next to the uh, console where we're mixing the music, a tower of soda pop cans. Yes. That was fairly epic. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, it, the, the trash can was with it, within reach, but it was, yeah. you know, no, it was, it was a pyramid. Yeah. That's yeah, right. A pyramid of aluminum. 
So what was what was going on there? Well, here's here's what was going on there is uh, that's just the way I grew up. So I grew up in a home where no one cleaned anything ever. Uh, There there were no chores. uh, There were no expectations. What it was was chaos and bedlam. And then about once every six weeks, one of my parents would freak out and everybody would do nothing but clean for about 12 hours. Right. And then the cycle would repeat itself. (laughs) Now, you might be saying to yourself, wow, that's an awful way to live. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) But if that's how you come up, that's what you're used to. That's that's the thing. Nobody likes living in squalor. I mean, that's part of what I think you have in your head about your girlfriend and calling her lazy is that she just she doesn't even care. She just likes it. Nobody likes living in filth, dude. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's something else going on. There's there's another factor here. I think it's worth you talking with your girlfriend about what was her home like growing up? What Mm -hmm. what were her parents like? Did people do laundry regularly? Did people did anyone clean? Did people do food prep? Did we did we have meals together? What was her sense as a person? coming up of what it meant to keep house what you know when company was coming over did we clean up or did we just you know leave things as as they were she is capable as are all people of changing and growing and maturing and developing but we need to know where we're starting from um, before we can figure out how we get to what's next Almost certainly, a lot of this is being driven by the environment that that she grew up in. But I want to return to the first thing I said, because it's super important for you in relationship and super important for Christians generally. Moralizing doesn't help anything. Right. Moralizing makes everything worse. As much as no one wants to live in squalor, and that's really true, no one wants to live in squalor, there's actually not something intrinsically morally good about being clean. Right. Uh, but the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. It doesn't. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> Sounds like it's in the Bible. It's super not. It was said by a dude named John Wesley who, bless his heart, loved Jesus, but was a freak. I mean, yeah. he was an unbalanced human being. Sorry, I, Methodist, it's true. Yeah. When you moralize, not only are you doing something that's, you know, I mean, just not biblical. Again, there, there's nothing morally good about cleanliness. It's, it's mm-hmm. just not true. But you're also making everything harder. If you take this and you, your basic message to your girlfriend is you are morally bankrupt. You mm-hmm. are morally negligent. You are a slothful. bad person. You are slothful. Right. That's, that's your problem is, is sloth. You've taken this from being something where, you know, I know you've done things a certain way, but I think we can work together and we can create some new patterns and we can develop something that we'll both like and we'll feel good about. That we can do. You've taken this and made it now a moral challenge that's beginning with an, in, an insult and an assault on her character. Yeah, uh, you've made this something that's ten times harder, and that makes you look like a huge jerk in the process. Right. Um, so don't do that. Don't make things harder than they need to be. Don't moralize where that's not relevant. Uh, that's a that's a bad idea. I'm actually a pretty neat and tidy person today. It took me a minute to get there. That was a journey that was predicated on understanding and uh, not on moralizing. If I can do it, uh, your girlfriend can do it, and you can support her in it. It's a great point, and Glenn, I'd love you to pick us up there. I think there's everything Jed said there is uh, right on point. There's another aspect here that is worth uh, exploring, which is not only is there nothing inherently good about cleanliness, um, no one's excited to take out the trash. Right, yes. yes so yeah, to go back yeah. to the last question, some maybe your girlfriend is, I mean, lazy is the wrong term, but maybe she does not keep up her end of um, housekeeping as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, her end is not all of it, friend. Mm. Right. Um, but if your expectation is that the, the woman you're going to marry should be thrilled about cleaning the dishes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you may be setting yourself up for a long, hard road as a gentleman, yep. right? That's right. Yeah, I think uh, essentially we have to you know, manage our own expectations, and we also have to recognize uh, your, your girlfriend failing to be a neat freak is actually not a, a flaw uh, as far as that goes. But... Uh, I think there there may be a problem here with overdoing one area of life and underdoing another. And we see this a lot uh, in in really just any kind of ministry environment. You know, people, uh, it, it's not that they do everything poorly. It's that they have things out of balance. I'm, I'm yeah. really crushing it at work, but by the time I get home, I'm a zombie, and all I want to do is lay there. Well, that's it's not a problem with laziness because she's working hard yeah. at work. 
that that's really the antithesis of laziness. Exactly right. So that's what we're talking about is a, a, a life that's out of balance. You've got so much work that you don't have time for other things. Now, maybe that involves you doing more of this stuff because her, you know, uh, work may mm. bring more If she's more doing her in. med school residency, right. it's 18 hour days. Yeah. You know, that's, what are you going to do? You, you can, uh, you know, you can fry up some bacon. And uh, then you can clean up after it. You know that's that's doable, uh, and that's part of what marriage is all about is is compensating and and it's a team and everybody does their their part and and uh, you know we we take up the slack for where other people aren't able to participate. But I think there's another element to this as well that bears looking at. Uh, in if, if you were to take all of these problems to a a family counselor, a family therapist, someone who specializes in that, what they would describe is that uh, almost all families end up, uh, and even just a two-person couple, end up in a dynamic. They end up taking roles on, Mm -hmm. is the way they would describe it. So uh, in in dysfunctional families, there's often someone who's sort of the martyr that's always doing things to make up for the dysfunctional people in the family. There's, uh, you know, people who are uh, always doing the cleaning up and there are people who are always not doing the cleaning up. And, you know, but what happens is those things become symbiotic. I'm not cleaning because you are cleaning. You're Mm -hmm. going to do it anyway. So why don't you just do it and don't say anything to me about it? Uh, And what we see particularly in couples is uh, the more that somebody brings this up, the less the other person feels like participating yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. It becomes a thing of you're, you're driving me nuts with this thing. You're, you keep initiating it, initiating, initiating. Well, if you see that it needs to be done and you're upset that it's not getting done, why don't you do something about your feelings on that? Uh, the solution to this is to, uh, for you to take a step back, as you were urging from the beginning, and recognize... Uh, what you want to do is to not enable this thing. You don't. You don't want to uh, do the cleaning for her because she has. If indeed she has a you know moral shortcoming in her cleanliness or whatever, you don't want to say, well, let me just clean it, and uh, that's my job now, and I'm going to resent her for it and yeah. whatever. That's you know you're enabling somebody's weaknesses. Uh, you know, in the ways that we have described here, you can bring this up to her and. Uh, and have a discussion, as Jez is suggesting here. So I'm pulling back from that enabling behavior. Uh, and then the, the second step of that is to define the responsibilities. Whose job is it to take out the trash? Whose job is it to clean up after? Whose job is food prep? Who's doing the dishes? Those kinds of things. And, of course, it doesn't have to be a lockstep kind mm-hmm. of thing. We can, we, can, you know, uh, we can mix it up and whatever have you. Uh, I think that's a great place to start, first and foremost, because there's some stuff you don't like doing that she may not mind yep. and vice versa. So life gets better all of a sudden. We're working together. Uh, but having a defined responsibility can help someone who's maybe struggling to figure out where these priorities mm-hmm. are, recognize I'm supposed to be doing this and letting her see that she's not doing a thing she's responsible for doing will show her where there's a, a lack of balance better than you saying, hey, I feel like you're kind of lazy and maybe you do a bad job of raising our children. Yeah. So. Yeah, that last part's a bit of a leap. We didn't really address that one, but don't say that. Yeah, <laughs> don't no. say that's, that's the... Uh, the whole of that. And Jed, do you have one more thing on this? Yeah. One thing just, just to throw in, you know, and I'm glad Glenn brought up kind of family counseling. One of the things that happens a lot when people go to a marriage counselor, a family counselor is, um, they will, they will talk about their spouse and they will say he always X, Y, Z and he never ABCs. And uh, a good counselor will tell you, don't do that. Uh, cause it's super unhelpful. And it's also almost certainly not true. That's there, right. There's almost there are almost no people who always do one thing and never do another thing. It's just mm. there, you know, everything is gradations. And one of the things for you to know before you stick your head in the noose you're trying to stick your head into is uh, there's a good chance you're like super wrong about most of this. Yeah. And, and not just wrong in a meta sense, but you're, there's a good chance that you're wrong about how much she does or doesn't do mm-hmm. uh, right. because you're letting your emotions uh, tell you this right now. Yeah, uh, not to interrupt you, but if you're jumping in and doing stuff, maybe she would 
get to it eventually. It, so. exactly yeah, if you're, right. if you're taking out the trash, if you're complaining that the trash is taken out when it's three quarters full, because right. that's when you think it should be taken out, that's a little more on you than her. Yeah. I have a dear friend who's a worship pastor, and um, he, some years ago, he had a gal who had been a part of the worship team who announced that she was quitting. And uh, he, he sat down with her and he said, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, why are you quitting? And, and she said, she explained, you've given everyone else far more solos than I've had. Right. Uh, and it's unfair and it's unjust and my talents are unappreciated and it's wrong and therefore I'm leaving. Um, right. And my dear friend in that moment explained, Susie, I actually keep an Excel spreadsheet of exactly how many solos everyone does, when they do them, uh, what songs were sung. So I know actually mathematically for a fact you have done precisely as many solos for the last year as everyone else has. Right. I can actually show it to you. Uh, <laughs> right. You'll be shocked to hear Susie was not interested in seeing said spreadsheet and still wanted to leave. So what we had was a situation where Susie was convinced to the core of her soul, I have been treated unfairly. There is an imbalance. There is an injustice. When mathematically there is not. Uh, You've received perfectly equitable treatment. I tell you that cautionary tale uh, to tell you people in relationships have a way of doing that a lot. Of deciding that they have received unfair, inequitable treatment when they have not. Right. Um, and part of the reason why Glenn's uh, uh, suggestion about defining clear responsibilities is a really good one is it helps to cut through that. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to judge whether or not we're doing our fair share based on your feelings, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. If we break down here are the 12 chores that need to be done every week and here's who will do which one and whatnot, gets rid of a lot of that. You don't want to go into a fight convinced that you're right only to discover you have no idea what you're talking right. about. That's an excellent point. There's another thing that underlies that, which you're just point there, which is some of this is uh, almost certainly in the same way that laziness, defining something as laziness is almost always um, lazy and faulty analysis. If you're having a problem in any relationship, particularly a dating or romantic or marriage, romantic relationship, but really anyone, uh, your first question should almost always be, is this a communication problem? Yes. Because yes. it probably is. So again, we've pointed this in a couple ways here, but um, maybe the most uh, likely one, and I, I'm not trying to prophesy your situation, but if, if it was just kind of somebody brought me this without knowing the couple, my guess might be that you have a predefined idea of A, what your girlfriend should be doing, B, what you should be doing, and C, at the times those things should be done. Mm-hmm. As we're talking about of, uh, you may have very different definitions of a sink full of dirty dishes, as everyone does. And if you've never expressed that, and if you've never really pointed out that you think your girlfriend should be doing the dishes because you, you know, mow the lawn or whatever, that's not her fault. Yep. Really, it definitionally cannot be. And it, and maybe fault is the wrong way to put that. The issue is not her doing it or not doing it. The issue is the communication about it. Right. So to go in with those kind of assumptions, and maybe if you were raised in a place where it was just where your mom cooked and your dad, you know, took care of the lawn stuff. No problem with that. Totally cool. But you can't just assume that's the way all relationships yep. are supposed to work. That's not going to get you where you're going. And there's a couple, to be honest with you, friend, there's a couple things in here with, um, I think she's lazy and I have a girl I am seriously considering marrying. There's a, the way you phrase that sentence, that sounds like there's someone who doesn't get a choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds like there may be some uh, gender ideas you may need to let go of yep. in order to be happy. Now, you cannot do that, but as Glenn's pointed out many times, Glenn, you spent some time in the uh, the women's unit at Cook County Jail. Yeah. Many of those women are there for a similar crime, which is uh, assault or uh, murder of a partner. Right. And what's the thing they all say about that situation? Just one time too many. Yeah. And then I I poured the Cheerios, and there were some extra Cheerios, because a person can only take so much so much that's right of this nonsense you, so he just mouthed off one time too many and that was it for him oh i'll take out the trash all right yeah that's right now is that an extreme case of course does that will and desire live within your beloved yes it does yes it does <laughs> so again some good faith communication, some sitting down saying this isn't about who's right or wrong. We have a goal we want to work together towards as a team, which is, as Jed put it, not living in squalor. Yep. How do we, how do we accomplish that? Do we, is that you are, you know, working 90 hours a week at the law firm and you're just too tired, but we make good money. Do is, you know, a hundred bucks a week for a maid to steal it twice the price, whatever it is, there's not really a wrong answer to that, but you have to get there by sitting down, 
putting those things out and getting there by discussing it as a team, as opposed to kind of you coming in with your preconceived notions, her coming with her preconceived notions and just getting angry when they don't match up. Yeah. yeah. That is not a way to have a relationship friend. But again, you, you wrote in, you clearly want to do this well, you want to do it right. And we respect that. And we, yep. we think that you're the kind of dude who can have this conversation, can be loving and servant hearted about it and get to a place with a really good relationship. And that's what we want for you. If you have a question for us, you can write into say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, chicago.tumblr.com we want to one more time thank our friend Stephen christian for joining us you can buy his new album wildfires out this friday july 28th we're gonna take out with a little lee younger this week for a a much needed um note of gentility and pleasantness that is you've probably really noticed is missing from this particular episode of this podcast so this is a song lee wrote several months back for bridge box it's also on his newest album. It is called The Love I Need. We're going to take out that right now. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say That Podcast, where we're working on our own delicious snack that's also addictive and has bits of our own DNA in it. Yeah. Okay. I need a love that will not leave me empty. And I need a love I can't let down. A different kind of love doesn't want to use me, a love that just wants me around, love that's patient and gentle kind, love that wants the best for me, love that's perfect when I'm not, love that won't just stop and What if this is the love I need? What if I am tired of a heart that's always broken? And what if I want something that is real? What if there is truth to the words that you have spoken? What if this love can Love that's patient, gentle, kind Love that wants the best for me Love that's perfect when I'm not Love that won't just stop and leave What if this is the love I Love that's patient, gentle, kind Love that wants the best for me Love that's perfect when I'm not Love that won't just stop and leave What if this is the love I have? What if this is the love I need?